Blog Talk Radio. Are you ready to awaken to the truth of your soul? Welcome to today's episode of the Nadia Khalil Morning Show with your host, Nadia Khalil. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to today's show. Today is Friday. It's a Friday. I know. I work from home. It's still Friday. There's still something so cool about it. And we are on. I have some big questions today. And I hope I get to them all. And if I don't, I may do show on, on one of them. But the first one is from Chris Kipwoods. And he put it on my personal page on Facebook. And his question is, why do we hate ourselves? And how can we stop it? And I thought, do we really hate ourselves in there. Like we can't die in our dreams, and even if we do, we can see ourselves. can't really hate ourselves, and even if we think we do, if push came to shove, we'd fight for ourselves. Even if we go back on our fight on a weaker day. But why? Where did us hating ourselves for being here come from? Pretty early on, before you even know, you have those feelings of contempt for yourself. I would first start by not using the word, I hate myself. Because then we just gave our brain this direction to make us really good at it. Because our brain's just waiting for any kind of instruction. If you said, I love myself, your brain will start to work really hard to show you why you love yourself. And if you say, I hate myself, really hard to show you why you should hate yourself. When people say there's a self-fulfilling prophecy, after seeing Christ, I know why. So I'm really careful It's not like, oh, each word has an energy in that, but there's a lot behind why we may say the things we say to ourselves. Like we may go, God, I just hate myself, and we're kidding. And it just goes away. We don't carry it. But if you're walking around thinking about how much you hate yourself, and then you wonder why you can't get out of that loop, it's because of the energy behind it. We run on energy, and we run on very fuel-efficient energy. The first thing I would do is think about everything I've gone through in my life, good, bad, or indifferent, and think about how you made it how you climbed over it, even the things you are not proud of. None of us are proud. Nobody walks around going, well, I'm so proud of myself, even if inside we may feel. But there's a feeling different than being prideful or being proud. And that's having compassion. Like, wow, I did that because at the time, I was a little messed up. 
or at the time, I was a little young. Or at the time, I was really hurt. Give yourself a break. One of the hardest feelings is to be against your own soul because you're in the body there. You have this mind that's always trying to attack us, attack us even on the best of days. It wants to kind of shake that little rug under our feet. But if you're the one doing the shaking and you're going along with them, now that's two against one. There's your soul fighting for you. And there you and ego are fighting your soul. And then you wonder why there's a conflict. Well, that's conflict right there. So if you decide you're going to have compassion for your soul, now what happens? Two to one the other way. That's why I get so thrown off when I hear things like, Pain is an illusion. Happiness is an illusion. Everything's an illusion. Well, if everything's an illusion, then why do we feel? We have to feel. Otherwise, we will never grow. And if we never grow, there's no point in us being here. We're walking around discounting life by over-explaining it then we don't have a chance at solving it. And we need to learn how to solve. There is such a huge missing component because ego has been so overused. Call it ego. Let's call it the takeaway energy. That's what it does. My son and I call it OCD. We call DCO its antidote. We just reversed the letters. We did that since we were younger because that was his way of understanding it. But he talks to me about it every single day. And with autism, he's really so innocent that he can see it because he knows that's not his thought. And he'll come and tell me, OCD tried to make me think blah, blah, blah. And I just told it to shut up. Well, in the beginning, he used to listen to it. Wonder why he was miserable to the voice that isn't his and to speak to the voice that really is his. It's not an easy thing to do when you're in the middle of getting attacked. Hating ourselves isn't true. We may feel shame at some times. We may feel vulnerable at other times. We may feel like, wow, I can't believe I did such a stupid thing. And sometimes when people tell us we're bad, stupid, dumb, we believe them. Especially if we're family members and we heard it a lot growing up. Oh, he's the one that that we don't know what he's going to be like when he grows up or what she's going to be like. Oh, great. Why would you say that? Because now that person's carrying it around all the time. All the time. And that's not fair. It wasn't fair when you were younger. 
it's not fair for you to carry it. As an older person, compassion, compassion, compassion for our own souls is the best we've got. It's the best we've got. It's the best we've ever had. It's the best we ever will have. Is to just remember that we are growing souls and to get out of that part of our head that accepts that voice. And the only way to get out is to talk back to it. Like, hey, buddy, I did the best I can. And you know what? I'm okay with that. Because where does ego come in and start pushing your buttons is where you're most vulnerable. Something you're vulnerable about, I may not be vulnerable about at this point in my life. So I may push it away. I don't have to deal with it. You don't push it away. You do have to deal with it. It is that simple. When we have to do it and we face it and we're feeling those strong feelings of not liking ourselves very much, It's really isolating and you feel alone and you don't want to be around people until you can feel better. But the truth is, being around people makes you feel better. Talking to others. Maybe somebody you're a little close to. You know, I struggle. I struggle with self-hatred. I struggle with not liking myself very much and I don't want to feel that anymore. I'm here. Why can't I take advantage of the time that I have to be here? Why am I sitting on a stool thinking about how much I don't like me? I make music. It makes me feel good when I do that. I know I'm doing something right. Well, the truth is none of us are right all the time. None of us are perfect. I sure as heck don't want to be. God, I'd be so bored. I love thinking, I want to fix this. I want to work on this. I want to get better at this. It gives me something to push for. It gives me something to, when I wake up, say, okay, let's see how this is going to work. And there's some things that take a lot more than one or two days. They take months and years. Years. This work has taken me years. but I'm still here. I didn't go away. Myself up for trying and whatever, not doing what I think I wanted to do or should have done because time is allowing me that space to grow and learn and to get better at it and to learn how to be the kind of person who needs to do this. It's not on our time. It's just on our will. But one day, you know, you wake up and you don't actually have those thoughts first. And then it's a, oh, yeah, you. What are you doing here? Talk back to the voice that puts you down. Think of it as a person speaking right outside of you telling you the same things you're telling yourself in your head. And I know I've said it before and I'll say it forever. Think of it as a person because if someone did come to you and talk to you like that, 
you get in a fight with them. And if you whimper and walk away, it's because you believe them. And if you believe them, you need to start talking back to the voice. It's not voices in your head like crazy stuff. It's the voice in your head. It's not okay. It never was. And whoever helped you put it there, forgive them. Give them back their energy of self-insecurities that they gave to you. Give them back that energy and allow yourself to begin the journey, pushing that voice away so you can see what's underneath it. Because that's just, honestly, self-hatred, in quotes, is a smokescreen. And it's ego's way of getting you from not getting to you. And it's going to try every day. But it's a very weak fight. It just feels strong because we don't understand how ego works. It might tell you, oh, don't like your partner. Oh, look at what your partner's doing. Oh, look at what your kid's doing. I wouldn't take that. You need to put them in their place. And then you start thinking that if you're not really in a good place. But if you hear that voice, you say, wait a minute, I like my partner. I'm not going to start picking on my partner. That's how you talk back to it as though it were a person. Hey, wait a minute, my kid's still growing. They don't know everything. Geez, they don't have any experience other than me coddling and taking care of them. Now it's time for them to get out in the world. Let me help them. Let me guide them. And Chris, I hope that helps you today. I can talk about just the beginnings of walking away from that voice. And Liam wrote in the chat, he put, but others don't allow us the compassion you are talking that we should have towards ourselves. If we acted out in the lack of self-love, others take note and hold that against us. And people might even say, we are a run, not walk away from the soul. No, I can't accept that. When we don't allow compassion to ourselves, that's at home. That lack of compassion, we may throw it up on others. And others may say, oh, wow, I don't have the time in my life to take on somebody else's stuff. It's way too big. They need a whole team of help. They need a whole support system around them. I can stay in the equation, but I cannot get attacked by. You have to know that people have the right, and they may not want to run away, but they may have to create boundaries and limits when someone hasn't done their work or cannot control throwing up on others because they can't, they can't be your doctor. They can be your friend. They can, be, they can tell you great things. They can try to help and support you, but if you don't accept that help, then they have no other tools. And yesterday, I went to the doctor. I had my full physical yesterday, and it was like at 8 o'clock in the morning. So after the show, I had to take off. And, you know, 
they not only did my physical thing, and it was like a new technology. I stood in front of this machine, and it totally scanned my body and took my weight, my my height, my um, it it scanned your organs. It was like crazy. And then I went into this room. There was like no medical equipment. There was a chair and a big screen on the wall, and they took my blood and they showed me what my blood did. And then at the end of it, they go through every single thing. At the end, they ask you about diet and exercise. And they ask you about emotional support. And I was like, yay, my doctor's asking me about emotional support. Emotional support. You have an emotional support system. That isn't everybody outside of your family and friends. That is your family and friends. What kind of support do you have at home? Because these are people who know you, who love you, who have the time, the everyday life to support you. But you can't go to someone from the outside of your life and expect them to know you well enough or to have the resources or to be there in that way if they're not your inner circle of support. We have to be realistic about what we want from other people because a lot of times what we're looking for on an emotional level is something we ourselves have not addressed. So we can't dump our worst on someone and expect them to come back and fix us because we are going to get disappointed quickly because they won't know what to do but no one can do it for you. So when one person thinks someone's holding something against them, the person who made a decision to create boundaries and limits, that's all they did. Because they realized that no matter what they do, they are not close enough to have a daily impact to break those habits of just dumping on others. Dumping on others is why other people feel at times that they're not okay. So both people leave feeling they're not okay. Back in the day, privately, parents used to do it to kids a lot more than now. Now there's like a lot of people around and everybody says, hey, that's not okay. And we don't hit our kids anymore and all of that. But back in my time, Parents used to say things to kids, and we grow up thinking, God, I'm such a loser. My parents told me I was. Imagine. And it's hard to get out because it was put in so young. Passion starts at home. In your mind. Talking to the voice. There is nobody outside of you who can talk to that voice other than you. That's why I do the show every single day. Every single day I do the show for a half an hour. There's a reason for that. I could do one one one-hour show or one two-hour show at the end of the week on a Sunday morning. Two hours is a long time to talk. But that's not why I do it every day. I do it every day for a half an hour because Christ talks to me every day. Saturdays and Sundays, I end up going out and meeting people 
do the same thing, talk about the same thing. I can't get away from this whole self-accounting thing. The first thing Christ talked to me about. And Christopher Sedgwick said, well, is that the self or the soul or the ego? And I'm like, it's all of it. When Christ says to me, self-accounting, instead of arguing about which part of me it was, I said, what the heck is that? And why is that important to me? I kind of got that there was like a balance type thing about it, but I thought of just regular accounting, like debits and credits initially. I never thought of like emotional self-accounting, asking myself questions into. Because it's the first thing that Christ said to me that night, after he told me you will bridge people's souls back to them, said one ounce of pure love or pure intent will overcome any obstacle provided it's pure. And I said, how do I know if my intentions are pure? And he said, through self-accounting. And I'm like, self-accounting? What the heck is that? And there I went, writing every single night, answering that question in a billion ways. And it wasn't easy to self-account because I didn't even know we needed to. I thought I was doing pretty good. And I was working hard enough, but I wasn't working smart because I didn't have the awareness. And there were things about myself I did hate when I'd get down. Or there was someone I liked that didn't like me back or know me yet. Or, or I felt like, well, wait until they get to know me. Then they'll love me. And I was still needing that from other people. Once I started asking myself why I needed from other people the validations I couldn't get on my own, the kind of people I gravitated towards changed. Because there were like images in my mind of what that person was going to do for me or why they were going to do it for me or how they were going to help me or how they were going to love me that was going to make me better and make my life better and more exciting. And I thought, wait a minute, back up. Who are these people and why are they going to fix me? Why can't I fix me? Well, that took a lot of patience because another person I can talk to. Me, I'm just in my head by myself. Another person I can do things with. And I was thinking outside, outside, outside of me. And what Christ was teaching me was, hey, kid, reel yourself in, slow down, be patient. The more you know you, the kind of people you will want to be around will also know themselves because you will recognize that. But you are attracting to you people who also need other people to fix them. And now you guys are going to put each other in a position of fixing each other, making each other's life perfect, better, and greater so that you don't have to do your own work. And then he wrote in in original love about how if somebody has the pressure of fixing you, you're both going to fall because they have to fix themselves and you have to fix you, but no one can take the responsibility 
of fixing your life because nobody is with you 24 hours a day. Only you are. And when you start working on things, you ask questions of the world instead of blame the world or try to get the world to do things your way or you're not happy. And if something doesn't work out, it wasn't meant, it may just be a stepping stone and you wanted it to be a destination. And I had a second question that says, hi, Nadia, I know you have a lot of questions for Friday, but in case there's time, I have a question and please, I'd like to remain anonymous. Why is love so hard? Thank you so much. Love is hard because we jump in with both feet before we know who we're talking to, before we really think about how this may not happen. And it's really hard because love is so optimistic. But if you can just remember these two things about love, if it's not right for you, it is ultimately not right for both people. And you may not know the reason today, and that's the hardest part, not knowing why. Maybe I could have done this. Maybe I could have done that. That's the hardest part because you start to feel like maybe, you know, you failed or they didn't love you enough. But if you were to really think about it, you may have had to bend over backwards to make that work too. Someone where things fall in place, you'll see that. But if it's not right for one, it's ultimately not right for both. And sometimes it's like a negotiation. Well, I could do that. You live over there. I look at We could do that. Well, we can make that work. But you're making those kinds of decisions before the solidifying feeling of the fact that you're really, really happy there. There's a difference, and this is another thing Christ said, and be very careful of it. I, I wasn't most of my life, but I am now or was now, and it took me a while to get there. The difference between love, curiosity, a lot of times that big, great push in the beginning of any relationship, it's because we're so curious. We don't know the person well enough to love them. Love is like, hey, you know, I'll, I'll die for you, love. That doesn't happen overnight, but curiosity does, and it mimics love. You're so excited. You want to know everything about that person. And no matter what they tell you in the beginning, you're okay with it. Although later on, you may say, oh, wow, they told me they do that in the beginning. Why didn't I care then? Because you were in curiosity. That's why it's so hard. You're falling off the curiosity pedestal. There's no way we could know anyone well enough. Unless you see them every day and you see their habits every day and you know how they feel about politics, about life, and about you and about your family and how well that works. Love, love, which is the biggest energy we have, that grows. We may feel it instantly because we like the way the person looks. We like the way we feel around them. But we really have to pay attention. Just like by not saying we hate ourselves, attention to how fast 
we think of loving others as opposed to being curious and still trying to make the pieces fit and trying to make things work. Everything starts at home. Why is that person going to make your life better? Is your life good enough that you can share it? Well, okay, is that person the right person to share it with? If it's not, things won't fall in place and you're going to feel scared and hurt and, oh, my God, now i got to try again. And maybe their job was just to wake you up. I'm going to talk more about that on Wednesday. You guys, I love you guys. Have a great, I think it's our last weekend in January. So enjoy. And I will see you guys Monday morning. Bye-bye. You have been listening to today's Daily Dose of the Nadia Khalil Morning Show. To learn more, visit www.nadiakhalil.com.